You're listening to the Alliance Specialty Podcast, dedicated to insurance and risk management solutions and trends shaping the market today. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining the Alliant Financial Lines Legal and Claims Podcast. As always, we got David Finns with me, and he'll talk a little bit about the never-ending cyber developments in our world. But real quick, a couple different articles, right? So I would really encourage people to go look at the monthly newsletter and some past ones, frankly, right? There's some really great stuff in there. Interesting decisions that came out on ERISA. Probably the most pressing is the excessive fee issue. We spent a lot of time talking with our clients and with underwriters about the excessive fee claims. They frankly keep the underwriters very nervous about ERISA and the rate they're getting for fiduciary insurance, which is the policy that covers excessive fees claims, and then you know coverage for asset managers and investment advisors who get dragged into these. Really interesting. So of the three cases we talk about on excessive fees, a couple really positive decisions dismissing excessive fees. One of the key takeaways is we have some excessive fee litigation that's being dismissed, and that's a real positive in our world. So the really good news is we had two decisions come that said that pleadings were inadequate. The Taylor Corporation case, where the court really held the plaintiffs to a very strict standard of pleading a meaningful benchmark in the complaint to articulate the excessive fees. The dissent Denso International case, England versus Denso, did a very similar analysis and dismissed those cases. So two very positive cases, right? You know, and we did have the McDonald case that came in, McDonald versus LabCorp. Unfortunate, right? And it's very fact-driven where court looked at it and, and concluded that pleadings were sufficient for the necessary benchmarking for excessive fees. So that's ERISA. Then the other really positive ERISA case that came in, and we don't see much preemption litigation these days, but as we see more and more states passing more and more legislation, what we see is an ERISA, right? ERISA is employee benefit law that fills that legal standard. And what preemption is about, that if federal law fully occupies the regulatory legal landscape for the law in question, it preempts state. We have some really great Supreme Court cases for years on this point, but it's eroded over the years and the Supreme Court has not taken it up lately. And we've seen more and more district and circuit courts split hairs and come to different decisions on preemption. The case in the newsletter is out of Oklahoma dealing with pharmacy. You know, and the really good takeaway is the 10th Circuit's reinforced preemption, right? So that employers who are in 50 states for all these exposures don't have to worry about 51 various laws that they have to deal with when ERISA preemption kicks in. So interesting month of ERISA litigation and you know how much I love ERISA and ERISA litigation. So it's kind of a fun month. One more quick point out of the newsletter that I must always take 30 seconds or a minute to talk about is notice. In David and my world, in management liability, these policies are almost always claims made policies. And There are almost always claims made and reported. So the claims got to come in during the policy period and must be reported in that same policy period. And it is part of the insuring agreement, right? It's not a condition. It is part of the trigger for insuring agreement. And as a result, right, failure to timely notice claims that are made within the policy period, within that policy period, can be fatal. And so just a reminder, there's another case in the newsletter that talks about the harsh consequences in claims made and reported of not timely reporting. And I would make the request again, and you've heard me say this before, early and often, reach out to your broker, reach out to your claims team to and have a discussion about whether a particular matter, circumstance warrants notice. We'd rather err on the side of having good discussion, good debate, and a notice than to wait and then have a carrier later say, you should have told us about it. That looks like a claim.
So let me hand it over to David, who's going to talk about cyber exposure with federal contracts. Thanks, Steve. So in the next issue of the Executive Liability Insights newsletter, we're going to take a look at some important developments affecting federal contractors. The U.S. government's the biggest purchaser of goods and services in the nation. And for many businesses, the government is their biggest customer. So when the federal government starts talking tough about cybersecurity, folks need to listen, right? Because this could impact their bottom line. So now we have the GSA, the General Services Administration. They're the agency who's responsible for the procurement of much of what Uncle Sam needs to keep the government running. And the GSA, along with the Department of Defense and NASA, these three agencies have proposed new rules for federal contractors. Now, these were published in the Federal Register a few weeks back. The goal is to develop a uniform approach to contract wording around what agencies are going to require out of businesses doing business with the federal government when it comes to cybersecurity. Right now, as it stands, agencies are free to develop their own requirements. And this approach has proven really confusing and costly to businesses. So this can actually serve as a disincentive to even putting in a bid, right? It's not good for businesses. And frankly, it's not good for taxpayers because there's a lack of competition. So streamlining this and having a uniform set of requirements brings some efficiency to the process. Now, one area of focus is going to be around information sharing. Contractors are going to be expected to work with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, around threat hunting, incident response planning, and if they experience a cyber incident, they'd be required to provide the FBI with full access to their information systems. Because, again, the government's their biggest customer. Even more significant, though, is a provision that is in this proposed rule relating to vulnerability management. Now, under the rule, contractor would be mandated to create and maintain what's known as a software bill of materials. So this basically documents any software that's being used to deliver goods and services to the U.S. government. Now, having a software bill of materials is a best practice for businesses anyway. It's not a new concept. We actually touched on this in a client alert back in late 2021 when the whole Log4J vulnerability came to light. You know, because we've seen the role that software plays in these exploits by threat actors. We've even seen this more recently with respect to the MoveIt file transfer vulnerability that's resulted in so many claims. The bottom line is if folks don't have a handle on what programs and applications that they're running, they're not going to be able to patch that software when it's needed. And they might not even know to retire that software to stop using it when it reaches its end of life and it's no longer being supported by the developer. Now, as far as what companies should be doing about all of this, right, for starters, if you're a federal contractor, you probably want to get a hold of a copy of the announcement with the proposed rule. Now, it's in the Federal Register, so you can download it from the web. If for some reason you have trouble finding it, then you can reach out to me at david.fins at alliant.com, and I'll be happy to send you a copy. There's only a 60-day comment period for the public to weigh in on this proposed rule. And a couple of weeks have already passed at this point. So you're going to want to get on top of that. Also, and this applies regardless of whether you're a federal contractor or not, you should consider developing an SBOM, a software bill of materials for your business. And if you're looking for a service provider that can help your internal IT department, or if you use a managed service provider, you need help getting a vendor that can assist you in, with this project, 
folks can contact me. We've got a team of risk consultants here at Alliant that are available to connect you with vendors that can help you get on that path to better management of these vulnerabilities. And you know, remember, if the government's asking these questions, you can bet that your cyber insurance underwriters are going to be paying attention to this area of exposure as well. Thanks, David. We appreciate everyone taking the time to listen into David and my podcast. We encourage you to log on to the Alliant website to access our newsletters and podcasts. Thank you.